Shabbat Shalom, everyone. I'm Monty Judah with Lion and Lamb Ministries. Welcome to our program. We are right now in a teaching series called Messianic Teachings for Christians. This is an effort to explain some of the differences between I, a Messianic believer, and my other Christian brethren. A lot of times when my Christian brethren see me and see different things I do, they have questions about what I believe and how I do things that I do. And I thought that this series would be helpful not only to help some Christians kind of understand other messianics they may come into contact with, but also to affirm certain things that messianics are now starting to do and to let them know that there is a basis for our belief and for what's going on. Now, I have to share just an interesting little thing. I have a very good Christian friend of mine, and we've had multiple conversations. In fact, some of the topics that I'm covering here are some of the discussions I've already had with other Christians, and in particular with him. And as we were happening to talk about this series, I said, well, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to contrast some of the things that Messianics believe versus what Christians believe and how we observe the faith. And he went to correct me, and he said, don't you mean contradict? And because from his perspective, he sees there's a great divide. He sees what a messianic is doing is dramatically different from what he does, and he's trying to understand the rationale. And so he sees contradiction as opposed to meat attempting to contrast. Now, I'm going to stick to my guns. I believe that my church brethren, my Christian friends, they are my brethren, and I am not claiming that I am better than them. I'm simply trying to understand what is the will of God so that I can implement that in my life. And I believe they, too, want to obey the Lord. But because of the different teachers that we've had, they've been taught certain things that is different from what the Bible says. And that's part of my long-term testimony of back when I was a good Christian in the church and the transition that I went through when I discovered that the Lord had said different things than what I had been told but I was able to make the decision, I'm going to do what the Lord says as opposed to what my other previous teachers all think is correct. I'm going to follow God, not necessarily follow the teaching of men. And that's part of the core issues that we're looking at here. These topics that I'm presenting, they're presented to give you the opportunity, the viewer, are you going to do what the Lord has said or are you going to do what is the traditional Christian way of it, and that this is the edicts, this is the teaching that have come down from previous Christian teachers? Now, there's one truth that we need to make sure that we understand at this point, and that is there's no Christian right now running around who made conscious decisions to do anything different than what the Bible says. Their teachers did not make the conscious decision to do things different than what the Bible says. They are operating under the premise that they're trying to do what the Bible says. However, what I'm pointing out is that before them, there were decisions made by church leaders that were contrary to what the Scripture says, but they've all been sold to us as being right and correct. When a guy like me comes along and then shows what is actually in the Scripture, there is a contrast. And for them, some of them see it as a contradiction. I'm differing from what their teachers have taught them. 
But that's what the purpose of this program is about, is to give you an opportunity to see what these differences are. You make your own decision as to whether or not you agree with me that the Lord, that's what the Lord has said in the Bible, and you understand what your teachers have taught you. If there is a difference there, then you make your own decision. Do you want to do what the Lord has said, what the Scriptures teach, or do you want to continue with the tradition of whatever church that you're associated with? So that brings us to another topic of one of the differences that exists between Messianics and Christians. And simply said, it's do you observe Sabbath or do you observe Sunday worship, first day worship? The church likes to go to church on Sunday. Messianics observe Sabbath. Now we're going to get into this a little bit, explain what the commandments actually say. We're going to talk about the rationale that is used by some church leaders to explain Sunday worship. But to be able to cover this subject correctly, I need to take you back in history. I need to take you back to the history of the church. And by the way, the average Christian has no idea about church history. And the subject of Sabbath is laced through church history. This has been an ongoing struggle for believers in the Messiah. Do you keep Sabbath? Don't keep Sabbath? And I want to walk you through a very simplified version of the history. You can go back and check me on all this one. But this is the history of the Christian church. In the first four centuries after the Messiah was resurrected, the basic believers kept Sabbath. Gentiles that were coming to the faith joined with Jewish believers. They kept Sabbath, and they basically kept Sabbath, or they didn't do anything at all. There was no established Sunday worship at that particular time. There might have been some doing it, and I'll explain. There was a very famous Christian fellow by the name of Justin Martyr. He lived in the second century, and he got to the point where he did not like the teaching of Jewish believers. And he thought that we Gentiles, we're, we're it now. And so he began to take issue with a variety of things. And one of the items that he took issue with was the idea of Sabbath. He wanted to do Sunday. The reason why is because Justin Martyr was living in a part of the world where the general population rested on Sunday. Why did they do that? Well, because they were worshiping the sun god. And when Constantine, who came in the Nicene Conference of 313 of the Common Era, he sat down with all the church leaders and said, hey, guys, you know, if you're going to get this Christianity thing to be part of the state religion that I want it to be, you got to have a set of rules. you got to have a set of standards. He's the one who encouraged the Christians to canonize the New Testament, to actually form the Bible so we'd have a reference text. And he, absorbing all of the people that was now in his empire, who for the vast majority of them worshiped the sun god, he said, you got to get those people to join in to Christianity. So the best way to do it was let's make the Christian worship day on the same day they worship. So that's how Sunday worship began. I hate to tell you this, but the history of Sunday worship is based on worshiping the sun god, not based on Yeshua's resurrection. That was just a convenient afterthought that fit into it. So now we have the church being established, and there's suddenly a split. 
and the Christian church. We have the eastern part of the church, which is the Greeks and the Orthodox. We have the Catholic version, which is the western church. They're headquartered in Rome, and that's where the big split took place. The Greeks recognized Sabbath, had not changed it, seventh-day worship, and the Catholics, the Western Church, said, no, we want to do the first day because we don't want to have anything to do with those Jews and Israel. So the Catholics then established and made a declaration that the worship, the Christian worship will be done on Sunday, and they began to build cathedrals and churches throughout the world, and that's when they established their day for it to be done. The Protestants, when they rose up against the Catholics, guess what was one of the great disputes with the Catholics? It was over the subject of do we keep Sabbath or not? And a lot of the Protestants that broke away from the Catholics in Europe and the Western Church began to keep Sabbath. And so that was one of the big divisions between the Protestants and the Catholics. A lot of people don't know about this. When the U.S. Protestants, the United States of America, became formed, the Protestants that were here in all the different denominations, they decided that they were going to take a position on Saturday and Sunday worship, and they decided to do Sunday worship. Now, the Catholics were saying, yay, verily, that's what we decided, and you Protestants, you're just erring Catholic brethren in not following the Pope, but you're still following our teaching on Sunday worship. You go to a Catholic, they'll tell you that. The Protestants are still adhering to the decisions of the Catholic Church. I'm sure the Protestants don't like to hear that. They think they're different from the Catholics. But since they keep Sunday worship, they're doing what the Catholics do. And the Catholics lay claim to it, saying, you guys are just erring Catholic brethren. And instead of going back, now, here we have evangelical Christianity, which is here in the United States, and for the most part, they keep Sunday worship. But all of a sudden, in this same generation, we have some people that are reading their Bibles and looking at Bible prophecy, and they're looking at the Scriptures, and we have guys like me and others like me. I'm not the only one who went back and read the Scriptures and said, hey, wait a minute, you know, I've been trying to follow the Lord, and on this subject of Sabbath and, and so forth, what's the deal? I mean, the Bible's filled with we're supposed to keep the Sabbath. What, why are we keeping Sunday? And that's where we get a series of interesting discussions that come up. Most will say, well, we're recognizing the resurrection of the Messiah. He was resurrected on the first day after Sabbath, Sunday, and we should do that. We should recognize his resurrection, and we should worship the Lord one day a week. We should rest one day a week. We should have a Sabbath. Well, all of that sounds real good with the exception of one thing. The Bible never instructs anybody to worship God on the first day of the week. Now, the Bible does command that we are to recognize the resurrection of Yeshua. So everybody says, well, that's the first day of the week. And I said, no, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says the Feast of First Fruits. You know, that's that little holiday you don't hear very much about that comes the first day after the weekly Sabbath, after Passover. You know, in the springtime, we have the Passover, 
And then there's a weekly Sabbath that follows thereafter. And then the first day after the weekly Sabbath, a Sunday, you're supposed to observe the Feast of First Fruits. That's when the priests used to wave the barley sheaves, thanking God for the resurrection of life. That's the day that Yeshua came out of the grave. We're commanded to keep the Feast of First Fruits. The Bible says that we're supposed to do that. Does the church keep that day? No. They've decided to take that commandment, and they turn it into a weekly event. Now, where did they get the authority to change that for what God said? Well, you know, to make up the difference, they decided to create another holiday called they call Easter. And so during the Passover time frame, then they have Easter Sunday, and that's when they recognize the resurrection, and so they made that holiday. Did the Bible say that that particular Sunday is supposed to be called Easter? No. It said it's the Feast of First Fruits. But you know, that sounds a little too Jewish for some people. And besides that, Judaism doesn't even keep it. See, in their history on that day, there was a guy named Yeshua of Nazareth that came out of the grave. And they really would like not to mention that again anymore. So they basically leave the Feast of First Fruits alone too. But there is a commandment for us to keep the resurrection. It comes from the Torah. It doesn't come from the church fathers. That's some history for you as to where we're at on this subject of Sabbath versus Sunday. Now, by the way, I know there's some segments of in the Christian world that do talk about keeping Sabbath. For example, we have the Seventh-day Adventists. They do that. There are some in the history. There's some Saturday or Sabbath Baptists that have existed, but none of them are going all the way back to the Torah to keep the Feast of First Fruits. They're, they're all their versions of trying to address and deal with this subject. So let me just summarize this very quickly for you. No one in the church has the authority to change what God has commanded. The Messiah didn't change what God has commanded. He told us to keep what God has commanded. There's no apostle that ever changed any of this. And I've seen efforts on the part of some Christians to say, well, in the New Testament, it talks about first-day worship. In fact, that's there in the book of Acts that says, hey, they met on the first day of the week. You know, I've heard this is a verse in Acts chapter 20. If you will, turn with me now to Acts chapter 20. We're going to look at that passage of Scripture and see if that's what it really says. Acts 20 and verse 7, it says the following. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul began talking to them, intending to leave the next day and prolonged his message until midnight. What was the purpose they came together? It was to have a meal. It wasn't to assemble and worship the Lord or to rest or have a Sabbath. It was to have a meal. And what time was this actually? This was Saturday evening. It wasn't Sunday. It was Saturday evening. You see, you got to understand Hebrew time. The first day of the week, and you're in the evening time frame, that's Saturday night. They got together Saturday night at the completion of Sabbath on Saturday, and they got together to have a meal, and Paul's teaching. Now, this is the incident where the young man that was sitting in the windowsill fell asleep listening to Paul teach and fell out the window three stories down and supposedly killed himself and that was brought back to life. 
Let me continue with the rest of the story. Verse 8, And there were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together. And there was a young man named Eutychus sitting on the windowsill, sinking into a deep sleep. And as Paul kept on talking, he was overcome by sleep and fell down from the third floor and was picked up dead. But Paul went down and fell upon him. And after embracing him, he said, Do not be troubled, for his life is in him. And when he had gone back up and had broken the bread and eaten, he talked with them a long while until daybreak and then left. So on daybreak, it's now Sunday morning. They started Saturday night. Now it's Sunday morning. And guess what Paul decided to do? Did he stay there and worship the Lord and have a rest, a Sabbath rest on Sunday? No, he left. He was traveling to the next town. Is, are these the verses that substantiate Sunday worship? In no wise are they. They don't even come close to doing that. All of their activities are completely different from what people call Sunday worship. There was no meeting on a regular basis for Christians on Sunday. Actually, the reason they got together on Saturday night is for something else that's associated with Sabbath. Most of the Christian world doesn't understand how Jews observe Sabbath. In the evening of Friday, Friday evening as it begins, that's the beginning of Sabbath. As the sun sets, the evening time comes, that's the beginning of the last day of the week, that's Sabbath. And most Jews have a traditional meal, a Sabbath meal, and they also do a little ceremony called Kiddush. Kiddush means holy because the commandment says, remember to keep the Sabbath holy. And so they do this little thing where they stop what they're doing in the home and they recognize Sabbath has begun. It's a very simple little ceremony. They'll usually have a cup with some wine. They'll have some bread. They'll have candles. The mother lights the candles, welcomes the Lord into the home. The father stands and blesses God with a cup and he takes the bread, thanks God for daily bread and provision and thank you, God, that we have bread and we can relax on Sabbath. Now, at the end of the Sabbath, there's another little ceremony for those that observe it very diligently, and it's called Havdalah. Havdalah means separation. We're going to recognize when the Sabbath ends and the first day begins. That little ceremony has a cup also. It has a candle, but the candle is now a couple of candles twisted together. When you put candles twisted together, it produces one flame, even though there's multiple candles. And so one of the things that we say is only God knows which part of the flame belongs to this candle and which part of the flame belongs to this one. For us, it looks like one flame. And basically, we're saying at the conclusion of Sabbath, only God knows the moment when the Sabbath ends and the first day begins. And so we recognize that. So to say goodbye to the Sabbath, we take that cup of wine and we pour some out in a saucer. We take that candle, that multi-twisted candle with one flame, and we extinguish the flame in the juice, in the wine. And we hear the candle come to a close and we say, okay, that's when Sabbath has stopped. Sabbath is no more. And then we usually have a little container of sweet spices, like cloves or things like that, potpourri, anything that has a sweet, spicy fragrance to it. 
and we sniff it and we pass it around. And the idea is we're smelling the last remnants of the sweetness of the Sabbath is leaving us, but we want to remember that we enjoyed the Sabbath and we look forward to the next Sabbath. It's a very simple little ceremony called Havdalah. When they came together, when it says on the first day of the week and they were going to have a meal, they were probably observing the ritual called Havdalah. They weren't coming together to break bread to have communion. They were coming together to observe the completion of Sabbath and it's the first day of the week, the first working day of the week. And oh, by the way, Paul, after he finished teaching him that night, got on his donkey and he started traveling to the next place. He wasn't staying there to worship God with those people. That is not Sunday worship that took place. It's about keeping the feast of first fruits if you want to keep the resurrection and remember that. So let's step back from the controversy a little bit between Sunday and Sabbath, and let's just go and examine what has God said about Sabbath? What has he instructed us with regard to it? Because quite honestly, I know a lot of um, Christian brethren, they have no idea what this book actually teaches about Sabbath. They've, they've got weird ideas that they've got from others they've heard or seen, but they haven't really paid attention to what the Lord has said. Here's what the Lord has said. Going all the way back to Genesis 2, verse 1, here's what it says from the creation. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed and all their hosts. And by the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all of his work, which God had created and made. The seventh day, the Sabbath that we enjoy every week, has been set apart from all of the other days by God. Not man. God did that. By you observing that day, you are recognizing that God created the heavens and the earth, and he made that decision. Now, this idea of keeping Sabbath, I want you to understand, existed before the law of Moses ever came to be. I'm here to tell you that Adam and Eve knew what this was. Abraham knew what this was. All of the patriarchs that we hear writing in the Bible prior to getting to Moses, they knew what Sabbath was. It was a recognition of the creator God who had made the heavens and the earth. That's what it was about. When the children of Israel were leaving Egypt, before they got to Mount Sinai, before they ever got the law given to them, did you know that God commanded them to observe the Sabbath as they were leaving Egypt? Let me take you to Exodus 16. This is after they've crossed the Red Sea. And all of a sudden, they've run out of food. So God has decided to give them manna, bread from heaven. Chapter 16, verse 23, it says this, Then he said to them, This is what the Lord meant. Tomorrow is a Sabbath observance, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, and boil what you will, and all that is left over put aside to be kept until morning. They used to get a double portion on the sixth day. They would bake it, they would do it, they would set it aside, and they would eat that on Sabbath, but they would not go out and gather more manna on Sabbath. He said, no, you rest. Don't go out to gather. 
So they put aside until morning, as Moses had ordered, and it did not become foul, nor was there any worm in it. As God had said, it will be fine. And Moses said, Eat it today, for day is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. And the children of Israel were told to observe the Sabbath by the way they eat the manna. And this is before the giving of the law. So let's go ahead and see what he said when he gave the law, when he gave the Ten Commandments. What did he say about Sabbath there? Well, for those of you who are familiar with it, this is the fourth commandment of the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20, verse 8 is the Ten Commandments, and it says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And then in verse 10, he says this as a continuation. But the Sabbath day is a Sabbath of the Lord to your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant, or your cattle, or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made heavens and the earth and the sea and all that's in it and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Here's the Ten Commandments, and there's some explanation. Now, I want you to take note of the first part of the command. Remember to keep the Sabbath holy. The word remember says it used to be. In fact, Sabbath was from the creation. We get to the law, and the law is not instituting a new commandment. It's saying, remember the Sabbath that I created back at creation. Remember that. Keep that holy. The law now is, is, if you will, authenticated what already was understood to be the commandment of God. It simply echoed the commandment. And then it goes into a little additional detail. It says, when I want you to rest, I want your whole family to rest. I want your whole house to rest. I want your children to rest. I want your servants to rest. Now, what follows in the law is some additional other commandments that set the standards and conditions for the keeping of the Sabbath. I'll review with those with you very shortly. But understand this, the basic command to rest on the seventh day of the week, that was established long before the law came along. All mankind did this. It's since then that mankind has decided to do something differently. All right, let me take you now to Exodus chapter 31 because there's some additional instruction in the law about Sabbath. In chapter 31, beginning at verse 14, it says this, Therefore you are to observe the Sabbath, for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death. For whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. For six days work may be done, but on the seventh day there is Sabbath, a complete rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall surely be put to death. So the sons of Israel shall observe the Sabbath to celebrate the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual commandment. That last verse, you know what he said about Sabbath? It is a commandment forever. There is no modification. But let me go back to something he said earlier. He said, if you don't keep the Sabbath, you're worthy of death. Wow. Worthy of death? Just because you don't keep the Sabbath? Wow. And by the way, 
in the world that we walk around, I know lots of people, they don't keep the Sabbath. They don't die. God doesn't whack them. You know, you're not understanding the death that he's talking about. If you violate the Sabbath, the Lord's Sabbath, you've earned the eternal penalty of death. And by the way, this is one of the one of the commandments where God says, if you sin against me, the Lord, by the way, when you don't keep the Sabbath, you're sinning against God directly. It is the day he established. He established it. When you don't do it, you're taking direct issue with the creator God of heaven and earth, direct issue with him. And he says, you take direct issue with me, you're going to die. And by the way, every one of us in this world have this verdict of death penalty on us because there's nobody in this world who's ever been perfect keeping the Sabbath. When I was a young man, I didn't know about Sabbath. I, I didn't keep it. And even now, trying to obey the commandments, I'm not sure I'm really keeping the Sabbath correctly. I, I, I understand the penalty. I'm, I'm trying, trying to do the right thing. But even I would not be so smug as to say, oh, oh yeah, I definitely keep it. I'm, I'm subject to God's judgment on that, as is everyone. You know, the only thing I really have going for me in this whole situation is thank God that he brought the Lamb of God's sacrifice that would pass me from death to life. Don't keep Sabbath. You're worthy of death for eternity. Thank goodness we have the Messiah, who, by the way, is the Lord of the Sabbath. And he's the one who can forgive me, you know, for violating his commandment. He's the one that can pass me from a death penalty to life. And he has done that for me. Now, just because I understand that, that I've been forgiven and I've been passed from death to life, does that mean that I should continue to provoke God, dispute against God, and ignore his commandment? No, I don't believe I should be doing that. I believe if I love the Lord, I should be trying to follow his commandments. I believe that if I really believe that Yeshua is my Messiah, and he's the King of Israel, and he is the Lord of the Sabbath, I should be doing it the way he says. That's what I fundamentally did when I became a Messianic. I decided I'm not going to listen to my Baptist teachers when they're saying something contrary to what the Lord has said. Or Presbyterian teachers, or Methodist teachers, or Catholic teachers, or whatever. They're going to do what the Lord says. And the Lord's been pretty emphatic about this. Now, for those of you who think that, wait, we, we get to the New Testament, we can get to the New Covenant, well, th th this all got changed. <laughs> I have news for you. The New Testament talks about keeping the Sabbath. And that's what gets really interesting for a lot of my Christian brethren when they discover what that's all about. In fact, let me take you to a couple of verses that the New Testament has to say. In fact, before I do that, I, I want to show you one other thing that's given by the prophets. A a passage of scripture that even the Messiah quoted, the Messiah when he came. And, and this is my lead in to what does the New Testament say about the subject? It's from the prophet Isaiah, and it's in chapter 56, begins at verse 2. I want you to listen 
what Isaiah the prophet says here. How blessed is the man who does this, and the son of man who takes hold of it, who keeps from profaning the Sabbath and keeps his hand from doing evil. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people, nor let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant, to them I will give in my house and with my walls a memorial and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name which will not be cut off. And also the foreigners, the Gentiles, who join themselves to the Lord, to minister to him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, everyone who keeps from profaning the Sabbath and holds fast to my covenant, even those I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings, their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar, for my house will be called the house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God, who gathers the dispersed of Israel, declares, yet others I will gather to them, to those already gathered. This is a prophecy that Isaiah is talking about in the kingdom. It says that the Gentiles who decide to follow the Lord, and that means the Messiah King, who decide to join with him and proclaim his name and to follow him, who keep from profaning the Sabbath. And we know which Sabbath we're talking about now, because this is Isaiah. It says, I'm going to do something wonderful for them in the kingdom. They are going to be acceptable in my house right along with the native born. They're going to be in the same kingdom. And he specifically says, when I go to gather Israel, I'll be gathering them with them. But it's interesting, he sets the conditions. Keeping Sabbath and holding to the covenant. Now, in the previous teachings that I've done with you, I've explained there are seven covenants in the Bible. And the covenants that he's talking about is all those previous covenants along with the new, new covenant. And whereas the church advocates we don't have to follow the, quote, old covenant, where they've lumped all the other ones together, God is saying, no, 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 if you keep the Sabbath, Mr. Gentile believer, if you keep the Sabbath and you hold fast to my covenant, you don't listen to that teacher making the covenant go away, and you don't listen to the teacher that says, no, we don't have to do Sabbath, he said, you're going to be in my house, and you're going to be gathered up, and you're going to be part of my kingdom. Wow. That's pretty clear. That is the understanding that leads into the New Testament. Guess what? Yeshua did when he was in the temple one day. He quoted this. When they were excluding the Gentiles from coming into the temple, he quoted this verse. He said, this is for the Gentiles too. Wow, that was radically different from what they had been told. Don't you know that we Jews, we have Jerusalem, the temple, the Gentiles aren't part of that. That's what the Pharisees had said. That's what the scribes and the Sadducees had said. In fact, they had built another wall, a middle wall of partition. It was a sign before they could even get into the temple courts and said, no Gentile can go beyond this point. Paul teaches us in the book of Ephesians, 
that when the Messiah died, he tore down that middle wall of partition that no longer has any bearing. There's not supposed to be a separation between God's people in Israel that believe in him or the Gentile nations that believe in him. There's not supposed to be any more separation. It's all one house for all of God's people. Wow, that's radically different than what we have been told in the Christian church. Now, I want to make sure you understand the basic elements of the command, and so that when we look at these other passages, you can see what we're talking about. There are really seven basic commands within the Torah, within the whole Bible, about Sabbath. Let me give you, basically, simple what the seven are. It says, one, number one, the whole idea of Sabbath is to rest. It's to cease from your labors. You know, let's say that you work construction. You're a builder. Okay, that's your basic job. On Sabbath, you're not supposed to be building things. You're supposed to rest from that. You're a banker. You're not supposed to be doing banking business on Sabbath. Cease from your labors. Whatever it is that you do that produces your increase. If you're a farmer, on Sabbath, you rest. Don't go out and do this. Six days you may work, but on the seventh you shall not. It's cease from your labors is what the meaning of the commandment is. It also says don't make your servants work, those that work for you. You know, I really applaud the, the people that own the Chick-fil-A chicken restaurant. They give everybody off on Sunday. They're, they're trying to keep the, quote, Christian Sabbath. The only problem is they got the wrong day. Too bad. Good idea. Got the wrong day. Okay. Number three, do not kindle a fire and actually in the environment, the conditions that they were in when this command was given, it had to do with going out and gathering firewood. It had to go out chopping firewood, bringing in so you have the necessary fuel for it. Don't, don't, because that's a very laborious job. That's laborious work. And they said, don't do that. They said, don't go out and seek a bargain. Uh, and a lot of people equate that as don't buy and sell. Uh, don't make business decisions on Sabbath. Basically, remain in your place. And that is uh, the restriction concerning travel. Now, we'll have to have a little more discussion about that because there's all kinds of standards and conditions associated with that. It has to do with the amount of labor that you have to do, you know, the effort you have to make forward, and the distance you travel. Number six is to assemble. Assemble with your other brethren to the Lord. Number seven, the original one, remember to keep it holy. Keep it separate from the other days. Distinguish it from the other days. Don't do activities that go Friday through Saturday through Sunday. Keep the Sabbath separate from the other activities. Now, as I've listed these basic commandments off, the real question is, to what standard and under what conditions are we to do these? And this is where this, the subject gets highly, highly complicated for a lot of religious people. If you want to follow Judaism's teachings on how to do these, then I have some bad news for you. There's only 1,583 do's and don'ts that they've listed, two and including you can't carry a pen in your pocket on Sabbath. You know, you're transporting, you're doing some kind of work. You can't flip a light switch. The reason, see, you're changing the states of something, and when you kindle a fire, 
you take matter, turn it into heat and light, you're changing the state of it. In Israel, if you're on Sabbath there and you're in a hotel, there's one elevator that's going to be called the Sabbath elevator. It goes and stops at every floor, every floor, every floor, and then comes down every floor, every floor. You don't have to push a single button. You just get in it when it comes along, takes you to the floor you want to do. You didn't do anything. You didn't change anything. Therefore, but you get transported, you know, in your walk. In Israel, in Jerusalem in particular, they used to have defined, and this is recognized in the New Testament, a thing called a Sabbath day journey. And that was approximately in Jerusalem, three-fifths of a mile. The reason why that was is because in and around Jerusalem, it's hilly. It's up and down, up and down. There's no flat plain surface. Very rarely do you have that. And so if you're walking around in the city of Jerusalem, you're going upstairs, downstairs, upstairs, downstairs. And they figured out that if you walked approximately three-fifths of a mile in Jerusalem, that after three-fifths of a mile, you would break sweat. You would begin to labor now in walking. And so they said, well, we're not supposed to labor. So that's the distance that we can go. Now, those rules got changed as technology has come along because we're talking about different conditions. So, for example, here we are in the modern world, automobiles, airplanes, ships, all kinds of things. And again, how do we keep the commandment to remain in your place? So in Europe and in the modern world, they've decided that remaining in your place means out of the three meals out of the day, if you have two of them in the same place, that's your place that day. So let's say you get up Sabbath morning and you have breakfast. Now you have a decision to make. I can either travel to another city or I can stay there, and then after lunch, I can travel to a city. But you got to be in the same place for true meals. If you decide to travel, and you're still traveling through lunchtime, then you went too far. Got to have two meals in the same place. That was their definition for it. You know what? I can get, on, I can have breakfast, get on an airplane, and I can be across the country by lunchtime because of jet airplanes today. And by the way, it's not laborious for me to do this. I don't break sweat. I just climb on the airplane early in the morning and I get there, I have a nice lunch and a nice dinner with my friends and so forth. But for the most part, most believers say, look, we're, we're not trying to play technical games with the Sabbath. God really intends us to relax and rest, cease from our labors. Let's do what we believe would be honoring to the Lord and recognizing the Sabbath to be holy. And for the most part, on Sabbath day, most people won't travel. Most believers, they're not going to get in the car and try to travel someplace. They're going to rest at home. They're going to remain in their place for it. That's one example of just one of those basic commands that as you begin to learn to keep the commandments, you're going to have to learn to make judgments. The, the fact is that as you learn the commandments of the Lord, you know what it actually teaches you? How to make good judgments for your life. If you can learn to keep God's commandments and make good judgments concerning that, you will make good judgments about everything in your life. You'll make good judgments about your business, about your affairs with other people, whether or not you're going to take the risk to be involved with this or not. 
and you learn how to make good decisions. By the way, it turns out you keep the commandments of the Lord, God gives you good success and prospers you. You violate his commandments, you break the rules. Guess what? You do the same thing and everything else in your life and you pay the price. It's actually better for you to keep the commandments of the Lord. It's really good for you to keep the commandment of Sabbath. I'm not covering it in this week, but in future sessions, I'm going to teach you about the feasts of the Lord, the holidays of the Lord, the appointed times God has done. Before you can keep the feasts of the Lord, you have to learn how to keep Sabbath, the weekly Sabbath. Why? Because the weekly Sabbath is the building block of learning how to do that so that you can then keep the feasts of the Lord the appointed times that he has for it. So let's talk about just a little bit more of the conditions about Sabbath. Let's talk about the exceptions. You see, not everybody keeps Sabbath. And I mean godly, righteous people don't keep Sabbath. Let me tell you who doesn't. The priests. In the temple, priests don't keep the Sabbath. They work the Sabbath in the temple. They do the service of the Lord. I can tell you right now, any preacher, pastor, whatever, he doesn't keep Sabbath. He might take a day off during the week, but he doesn't keep Sabbath because on Sabbath, he's supposed to be teaching and working and serving the brethren. I don't, I don't keep Sabbath. I teach on Sabbath. I do the work of the ministry on Sabbath. But that doesn't mean the commandment of Sabbath doesn't exist. Let me tell you who else doesn't keep Sabbath, and they're not required to do so. Policemen. Policemen are not required to keep the Sabbath. Military personnel are not required to keep the Sabbath. Medical personnel are not required to keep the Sabbath. Firemen are not required to keep the Sabbath. Civil servants are not required. Why? Because all of those positions, their job is for the life of the community. Sabbath is for us to live all the commandments of God. And specifically at the end of the Torah, it specifically says this, you shall live by these commandments. These commandments are given so you can live. Now, there's certain people who have to serve duty on Sabbath so the rest of the community can have the benefit of the blessings of the community. So the Sabbath is a reasonable, understandable thing. It's not difficult to keep. In fact, it's actually a joyous thing to do. And I've come to the point where I consider the Sabbath to be a delight. You know what the scripture says? It says, if you can come to the point that you can call the Sabbath a holy day, a delight unto the Lord, I, the Lord, will cause your life to ride on the heights of the earth. I will cause you to receive the greatest of blessings from me. Well, brethren, I'm here to testify to you that I know what that verse means. I have enjoyed those blessings. And I attribute it directly back to I kept the commandment to keep the Sabbath holy and to remember to keep it. Let me explain in the most simplest terms I can, how do you keep Sabbath in your home? It's like you have a guest coming to your house. Now, I'm going to make a fictitious guess. I'm going to say that Aunt Bertha 
has decided to come visit your home this weekend, and she's your guest, and you want to honor her and recognize her, so you provide a place for her, you have meals for her, you greet her properly and things like that. Now, let me ask you the question. Aunt Bertha's with you. Would you do the laundry that day? No, probably not. I mean, we have a guest in the house. Would you fix a meal? Yeah, we probably would fix a meal. Would you do major house cleaning? No. Aunt Bertha's come for you. I'm going to go ahead and leave and go to work? No. Well, let me explain really what Sabbath is. At the beginning of a Sabbath, part of making it holy, that little ceremony called Kiddush, that's the day you invite the Lord to come visit your house. That's the day you invite him to come and dwell with you. That's a very important thing for you to do, brethren. Let me tell you why. See, there is one day coming in the future that you're hoping that God is going to invite you to come and live in his house in his kingdom. It would really be in your best favor if you were already on record that you had invited him to your house before that so he would know you so that you could then go to his house. We are all waiting to be invited to go to his house in the kingdom. Let's be on record of inviting him to our house first. You do that by just keeping the Sabbath. That's our teaching for this week. I have some more good things for you in our next program. Shabbat Shalom to all of you. Thank you, everyone, who listens to our podcast here at Line of Land Ministries. I want to remind you, you can get our podcast through Apple Podcasts, through Spotify, and wherever you like to download your podcast. Thank you for being a part of our program and listening to what we have to say.